0: Hello, it's good to be back together again. This is the fourth part of a five-part series we're doing this week on the nativity. And today I have two things I want to share with you that are not actually uh, directly related to one another, but both are stirring inside me, so here goes, one and then the other. We instinctively recognize in the deepest part of us sacred spaces, whether it's when we walk into a cathedral or or a clearing in a forest or a quiet lake early in the morning, the divine within us is stirred. I think of the collective horror and sorrow that the world felt as we all watched the thousand-year-old cathedral of Notre Dame uh, in Paris burn. It was about more than an ancient building burning. Together, we recognized this This was a profound sacred space. No one needed to tell us this. Uh, it was instinctive. Now, if ever there was a sacred space, what Celtic Christians referred to as thin places, where the veil between heaven and earth was especially delicate, well, it was in the Bethlehem cave with the Holy Family. Beyond pointing to the greatest event in history, the Incarnation, the Nativity can open the door to experience both the intimate and the transcendent. Sacred spaces often become a, a place of pilgrimage. This is one of the reasons that I, I always take opportunity when traveling uh, in, into ancient cities. If I can go into an ancient cathedral I always take it because that's a place where where the very stones are soaked with centuries of prayer and Christ adoration. Yesterday, I spoke of my journey of learning to see Christ in the ordinary, to see him present in both creation and in other people. But I want to flip the coin. There's another side to this. The nativity also calls me to build specific sacred spaces in my life. Yes, they may be a cathedral, but also a meeting place where I I go to be very intentionally with Christ. You and I can cooperate with the Spirit to both recognize and perhaps even co-create with Him, sacred spaces. I have a particular place I go each morning to quiet my thoughts and emotions and to simply listen to the silence of Christ, knowing that His Spirit is connecting with and molding my spirit. It's a place of nearness, of comfort, of intimacy, whether or not I feel those things. It's a place where I am building a personal history with Christ. You know, for you, it may be a certain chair. It could be a particular room or a place outdoors. But over time, it becomes increasingly a sacred place of encounter. Now, the nativity presents us with a cave, with animals and a feeding trough. And yet they became sacred space because of one thing, the presence of Christ, and so when I consider the wonder of the nativity, I will let it call me into the sacred space that the Lord and I have created together, or perhaps more accurately, the place that I have attentively uh, made room for him to create. Second thing I want to talk about is this, as we've seen throughout Matthew's study uh, that we've been doing each week. The gospel writers waste nothing. Every line, every detail carries significance, often at multiple layers. Now, the Jews had been waiting for their Messiah for a long time. He would come to set them free, to bring the freedom of and joy of jubilee to them. Yet, the two gospel writers who recorded the beginning of Jesus' life, Matthew and Luke, They both focused on outsiders, not insiders. Let's consider the shepherds for a moment. At best, they were kind of the ordinary Joes, the the lowest of the working class. But in fact, many biblical historians see the role of shepherds at the time of Jesus' birth in an even less positive light than that. They they lived and worked outside the town's boundaries, The scriptures say they were living out in the fields. They were looked down upon. You know, a shepherd could not even give testimony uh, in a court of law. They were landless. They were poor. They were isolated. They lived as a community of shepherds who no one else wanted to be with. But it was to these that God chose to send his angel. And When they saw the angel, their first response was like, it seems, everyone else's response in Scripture. It was fear. But after hearing the angelic announcement, they were obedient to what they heard. They said, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. They made what they had seen widely known. They weren't keeping it to themselves. Finally, in the cave, they glorified and praised God for all things they had heard and seen. They were not afraid of their reputation. They were abandoned in telling everyone of their joy. It's interesting that the gospel both begins with the shepherds and ends at the cross outside the walls. The second group that are focused on this time by Matthew are the Magi. And uh, his his nativity uh, birth account begins with these three Magi. They They likely came from Persia. They would have been astrologers. Now, there's something I want you to catch because it's so significant that Matthew focused here. The Magi were consciously avoided by both Jews and Christians, even at the time when Matthew was writing his gospel. The, the Christians connected the Magi, i.e. magicians, that's where we get the name, they connected them with the black arts. Therefore, it is remarkable that Matthew introduces them into the Christ story without any hesitation without any apology or embarrassment. They were socially and religiously unsuitable to a Christian narrative. These Magi were seekers. They, they were foreigners who had a very, at best, a very limited understanding or knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. They were Persians, but they believed enough to make a long journey. All the way from Persia to Bethlehem, which was about 660 miles, it would have taken about five or six weeks. But just like the shepherds, they believed. And like the shepherds, they were obedient. And like the shepherds, when they came to the manger, the feeding trough, when they came to the, the Christ child, they came to worship. I want to share a little bit of, uh, well, a significant portion of a wonderful poem by T.S. Eliot, one of my favorite poets, 20th century poet. It's called The Journey of the Magi. I'm reading it with you because I want you to understand the difficulty. It's not just three guys on three camels on a Christmas card, but what it costs them to be obedient and to believe. So T.S. Eliot writes this. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter, and the animals, the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted, the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, to silken girls bringing sherbet. And the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears saying, this is all such folly. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door, dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information, and so we continued. And arrived at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place it was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago. I remember, and I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this, were we led all that way for birth or death. There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard. And bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. Coming to Christ means sincere seeking. It takes effort. That effort changes the direction of our lives. The Nativity tells you and I that step by step, God unfolds the mystery of Christmas, the incarnation. He unfolds it step by step to those who are hungry. And somehow, it is largely a gospel that gives first attention for those outside the camp, the unloved, the broken, the overlooked, the misunderstood. The gospel begins with the nativity, embracing those who know their need, the poor in spirit, and establishing from that beginning the truth of Jesus' words, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God bless you.